Welcome to the podcast Aftersight, everybody. I am your host, Penn Street, and I hope you had a great week. Mine has been very, very busy, as I'm sure most of yours has too. I want to thank everybody for showing up and having an incredible hike um, on August 28th. It was wonderful seeing all of you. It was so much fun. And we are definitely going to be sharing um, some of the interviews that we did there at the hike and prior to the hike. So stay tuned here at Aftersight, and we will share with you how that you can hear all of those, all your stories and your reactions um, that you had surrounding the hike. I also want to mention, starting in September, Audio Information Network of Colorado is going to start a couple new programs. One of them is called Blindsight, and Blindsight is going to be a podcast similar to Aftersight, except it's going to focus on mental health, which is a really, really important topic to touch on. And again, you will be getting more information about that as we get closer. And then also, um, we are going to begin Topic of the Month. The first one will begin in September, and it will be around mental health, and we'll have a lot of resources and a lot of touch points for you. And then each month, we will continue having those important conversations about the different topics that affect all of our lives. Today's guest is Ellie Carlson, and I've known Ellie a long, long time. Our paths crossed when I got my very first guide dog, so I'm really excited for all of you to meet her. So when we come back, I will introduce Ellie Carlson. You're listening to Aftersight with Penn Street, an AINC original podcast. If you enjoy what you hear, please visit AINcolorado.org for more shows, news, and articles read by our amazing staff and volunteers. If you have a question for Penn or would like to recommend a guest for future shows, please visit AINcolorado.org slash podcast dash guest. And now, here's your host, Penn Street. Welcome back, everybody. And Ellie, it's so exciting to have you on board. Thanks for taking time to have a chat with us today. Absolutely, Penn. It's an honor to be here and uh, have our paths crossed once again. (laughs) Exactly. They keep doing that, which is exciting for me. Um, so Ellie, I like to start out the interview with, it's, we call it this or that, or people have different names for it, but just so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better outside of the interview. Vacation or staycation? Vacation. Vacation. Yeah, I think there's a time and place for both, but I'm with you. So if I can get away, that's, that's my ideal. Um, would you rather read a book or listen to a book or watch a movie? I would listen either way. I am sighted. However, um, I'm a multitasker. So I play audiobooks a lot in the car, podcasts, um, drive a lot. And if I have a movie on, it's for background noise while I'm doing other things. So oh, interesting. we're going to go with audiobook. Wow. That sounds great. That sounds great. Okay. Now, this is a question I ask all, all, of, my, all of my guests is, if you had a theme song, what would it be? Hmm. My email handle, my personal email handle since 1997 has been Ramble on L.E. And that's a Led Zeppelin reference to Ramble on. So definitely the spirit of travel and freedom and the free spirit. And it just, yeah, 
yeah, get out and go. I guess that ties into the vacation, not a staycation. I, That's... Uh, my feet don't stand in one place very long. <laughs> and I can attest to that. Um, so Ellie's, so this leads right into it. You know, Ellie, you've worked for everybody from Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, which is when I met you so many years ago. You've also worked for the Helen Keller Institute. You've worked for um, a variety of guide dog schools, including your own business. You're an orientation and mobility instructor. So your, your focus has really been, as I can tell, um, on people who are blind and visually impaired and also deaf and hard of hearing. How did you, and, and like you said, you're sighted, you, you know, your hearing is just fine. How did you even get involved in this career path and, and what keeps you in it? Thanks for asking, Penn. Yeah, I love it. Um, it's funny because sitting here in Boulder, Colorado, I'm a Boulder native, and I went to Eisenhower Elementary at a time when kids were being mainstreamed out of the special ed classrooms into, you know, they were we were side by side for art, music, and PE for sure. And as somebody who, you know, I, I was a good student, I got good grades, I got my stuff done, and in study hall time, one of our options was to spend time in the life skills room with the kids um, with different abilities. So that was my choice. I didn't want to read an extra book or you know do an extra project. I wanted to do this cool life skills stuff that they were doing that was not academics. We were reading bus schedules and planning outings and menus and budgeting and shopping, and I really enjoyed that. And to see the accommodations that were available for kids who had maybe cerebral palsy or autism or Down syndrome or just different things, that really opened up my world to there's always a way. It may take more time. It may be different from the way other people might do it, but there's always a way. Nothing is impossible. Those friendships that I made in the life skills room turned into I was a Special Olympics buddy for a girl with Down syndrome. We went skiing. We went bowling. She played basketball. It was fun. And I continued on to volunteer with the City of Boulder Expand Adaptive Recreation Program where I met lots of folks with low vision, blindness, deafness, hard of hearing, um, and their guide and service dogs. So I started as a puppy raiser and then um, really wanted to be a, a guide dog mobility instructor. It was in fifth grade when our class read Follow My Leader. Oh. And even though that's not a super accurate book, there's kind of some <laughs> air of fiction to it. Um, it planted yeah. that seed of guide dogs can help people who are blind, and I want to be a part of that. My path went from volunteering in the adaptive rec program here in Boulder to, you know, I, I was kind of flailing in college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It looked like all of the things I was interested in were more volunteer positions than paid positions. So I copped out and did a semester in Australia. I said, no, I'm not going to declare a major. I'm just going to go have an adventure. And in Australia, I was... Um, student teaching in a school where we were teaching pre-Braille skills to first and kindergartners, mm -hmm. first grade and kinder for kids who are blind, um, sensory things, you know, can you find the marble in this box of rice? And can you find the line on this page that is otherwise blank? Um, those kind of things. And one day their orientation mobility instructor came in to take them all out on a perimeter walk of the playground. And I'd never heard of orientation mobility, which most people outside of this field haven't. Mm -hmm. And it was the coolest thing to observe him walking these children around to just get a sense of how big is the playground, what's the perimeter, and mm -hmm. space when you can't visually see it. And as we're walking through the grass, we encountered leaves. 
And it never occurred to me. The assumption may be that, well, these leaves grew up from the ground. Because visually, oh. you don't have the association that, oh, they fell down from the tree. That's right. So to be able to pick up a child and reach them up high enough to feel the trunk of the tree, to feel the branches of the tree, and then to feel the leaves that grow on the branches that get dry and fall to the ground. Wow. So making those concepts and those connections was really cool. And um, so I continued to follow the O&M when they would come uh, weekly to work with the kiddos on different things. Um, remember, we did a field trip to a history museum where, for a blind child, it's pretty boring when everything's behind glass. Yeah. You know, it's just you're touching another wall of glass, another window, another window. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to touch. Um, hey. there's, get your hands on. But what they wanted to do was ride the escalator. <laughs> so we got out our canes and we learned how to ride the escalator up and down and up and down. And that was way more fun than the rest of the museum. They did bring out some uh, bones and shells and feathers and things for the kids to hands-on with after a while. But um, So I came back from my stretch in Australia to um, transfer my credits to University of Northern Colorado. And I have a bachelor's in Human Rehabilitative Services. I applied to several guide dog schools, and at the time they were saying, we only hire instructors if you've worked two years in the kennels or you have an O&M degree. So I went off to Cal State Los Angeles and got my O&M degree. I was raising puppies, and after getting my degree, I was recruited by the Helen Keller National Center because I did have some conversational level in sign language. So I went off to Long Island, and... With my little bit of sign language and I'm fresh out of school, I was teaching people who were um, deafblind in, in the spectrum, either total, total, right. or, or low vision, hard of hearing, everybody, adults and teens, to use their white cane and get around safely. Pretty quickly, I was, I was residential. I lived in the dorms with the students at first. Pretty quickly, my sign language skills developed to a point where my supervisor says, we need interpreters for other people. You can fend for yourself. So oh. <laughs> how I would start each class, if, if the student were deaf using sign language, is I would say, all right, here's the vocabulary I don't know and need to know to teach you today. And so we'd go through the vocabulary for elevator or diagonal, whatever the terminology was I needed to use. They'd teach me the signs, and I'd teach them O&M. And uh, oh, I did wow. that for a few years. Wow. And then... Missed Colorado, wanted to come back. So I, I did and uh, was at um, Colorado Voc Rehab as an itinerant O&M and VRT at the time, covering those caseloads. And then the, you know, Mo McGowan, uh, yep. she promoted up as a supervisor of field reps for the Helen Keller National Center. And I took her position as the Rocky Mountain Regional Rep. So, yeah, I really enjoyed the opportunity to do advocacy and outreach and in-service trainings uh, across six states in the Rocky Mountains. It was it was a great position. I went off to Leader Dogs, was an apprentice, and became an instructor. I was working primarily with the deafblind um, applicants and, and students, um, so preparing their dogs to respond to their hand signals rather than their voice. And in that scenario, people do need an alternative street crossing technique. The dogs are not making the street crossing decisions. So uh, we were using the Helen Keller street crossing card or uh, to solicit assistance from the public and just using some natural supports there. That's amazing. Yeah. So Leader Dogs, Occupies, the Guide Dog Foundation, and most recently Guide Dogs of the Desert have all been um, schools that I have contracted with once I started my uh, private practice, which is called Canines and Canes. Yeah. 
And so tell me a little bit more about canines and canes. Sure. So canines and canes was a concept that came from, I can't be everywhere at once. I would love to be everywhere at once. And I really love <laughs> all the schools and programs. And I just want to help everybody. <laughs> so yes, I yes, love the people that I meet through this position. Yeah. And it's just hard to wear one hat or t-shirt for one agency because there's other agencies doing really cool things. I want to be a part of that too. So as an independent contractor, I have the opportunity to accept and decline assignments as they fit my schedule. I am a mom. My two boys, um, being self-employed has allowed me to support them through their young years and um, be around for them, but also, you know, have the career I enjoy. Um, So board and train, we take on guide dogs from you know, any school. I'm not a school snob. You know, I have a good relationship with a lot of the schools. And something that I've ended up doing in that role is client advocacy, applicant advocacy, where I've had several folks who have come and said, you know, I'm thinking about a guide dog and we can have that conversation. And if it seems like something they want to move forward with, well, now which school? And applying to a guide dog school to me is a lot like applying to university. There's just a lot of factors to consider. And for each person, there are some schools that may be a great fit and some schools that may not. So being able to guide people through that decision-making or in the research, because it can be pretty overwhelming if you're just looking at websites and making phone calls. Um, But knowing a person who, for example, I live in Colorado. I've never had a guide dog before. I am allergic to other breeds. Um, I must have a poodle. What schools are available to me? It's a pretty short list, so we can have that conversation. People who really want a German Shepherd, people who are athletes and and would like to run with their dog. There's a kind of a specialty that each of the schools have that I can guide folks towards. And then if they want assistance with their application, um, it's an online form. There's some paperwork to be done. Um, There's usually a video of their travel skills to be taken. And then once those are submitted, if the person does receive notice that they've been accepted, great. We can help them prepare for class and receiving their dog. If they receive a letter that they've been denied for whatever reason, there's always an action step there. You know, the school doesn't just say no. They say, no, you need to work on your street crossing skills or you need to work on your whatever it is. And maybe that's something I can support them with. And then we reapply as an appeal later on. That's awesome. So, Ellie, who... Who does, who should get a guide dog? Um, somebody who wants a furry toddler at their side. <laughs> um, That's a good answer. Who's not hoping for, yes, it's not a fuzzy GPS. It's not a magic wand. It's not a robot. They really are just little furry toddlers at first. And they do mature at some point. But when you first get them, it's, it's a lot of behavior management. It is. You know, somebody who is willing to take them out in pretty much all weather conditions um, because they at least need to use the bathroom. They at least need to get a little bit of exercise. Ideally, somebody who has longer purposeful routes. They go to work or school or a destination, you know, at least once a day, a leisure walk, something. They've got purpose to use the dog in. It's not a companion. If you want a companion animal, go adopt one. But a guide dog needs to work. So if you have enough of a purpose for them and realistic expectations that you've got to be a good team captain, you have to have your orientation mobility, you have to have good physical fitness, you have to have good mental fitness. So the idea of a guide dog as a companion is is, uh, popular among people who may feel isolated because of their vision loss, um, especially deafblind. 
However, if depression, anxiety, any of these mental health issues are not well managed, you're not ready for a guide dog. You need to get through your mental health stability first. Um, we all have good days and bad days. Guide dogs are pretty yeah. forgiving, but um, there's some there's some diagnoses and situations that would be a deal breaker for that. Um, you need family support. You know, the schools will all teach you how to handle the dogs and the way that they've been raised and trained to be their best and work well for you. And if you're a rule breaker, your dog's not going to continue to work well for you. If your family members are rule breakers, your dog's not going to continue to work well for you. So you really need to have buy-in to the, the system, not just from the applicant, but from the applicant support system as well. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up a little earlier that you know, somebody who has allergies, there's standard poodle guide dogs and, or if somebody wants a shepherd, mm -hmm. I, cause I'm a standard poodle guide dog user because of, I can't breathe around <laughs> dogs that shed for a variety of reasons, but it's a deal breaker. <laughs> it is yeah. a deal breaker. And it was, that's why I didn't get my first guide dog until gosh, my thirties. I was in my thirties, but I get this all the time with Beethoven. They don't think he's an actual guide dog because he's not, he doesn't mm -hmm. look like your traditional guide dog. And what, what are some of the other breeds? Like you mentioned Max that you have in the studio right now. He's a, you know, he's a mm -hmm. lab. And then you mentioned a, the German Shepherd and then a Poodles. What other breeds are they using up? Yeah. You know, um, a lot of breeds have been tried, but the the kind of the top five that I see consistently across the, the accredited schools, Labradors are going to be 60%. Um, they've got a pretty good bloodline going there. They can keep them fairly healthy. They're the right size. They're low maintenance. They're friendly enough to be out in public. You know, public is accepting of Labradors. Yeah. The German Shepherds are the original guide dogs, you know, yeah. the first breed that was really being used and are still used, but it can be dif more difficult now to get a, a clean bloodline that doesn't have health issues or a, a temperament that isn't suitable as a guide dog. There's folks who are intimidated by shepherds. There are folks who absolutely love them. So the standard poodles, as we mentioned, for folks who have allergies or folks who maybe they don't have allergies, but they work in healthcare or hospitality or, you know, food service where the dander and shedding is a problem or a family member has allergies. Oh, right. Um, and then golden retrievers. Yeah. So golden oh, okay. retrievers are another breed that very friendly, very, you know, interested in pleasing humans, right size. And so they're also used. And then there are schools that will cross the breeds. So mm -hmm. you can get a golden lab cross. Um, you know, for a while it was all the golden doodles and labradoodles. Yeah. <laughs> and I've even seen shepherd doodles. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. There are, you know, historically what I've seen. I've seen boxers. I've seen vizlas. I've seen smooth-coated collies and rough-coated collies. Wow. Um, flat coat retrievers. You know, I've seen a lot of different things, but the top five, I'd say, from the accredited schools, you're going to see Labrador, German Shepherd, Standard Poodle, Golden Retriever. Maybe it's the top four. There you go. And I, I, I've also heard that they they cross the labs with the Golden Retrievers. So Yes, and the Golden Lab crosses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen so Dobermans you, as well. But. Yeah, I have too, which, again, I think going along with that Shepherd idea that they can be intimidating. Sure. So, but I, sure, yeah. Sure, you want, 
a breed that's going to be welcome in public and not everyone's comfortable, even just a black Labrador versus a yellow Labrador. Um, I've had some, you know, more people question public access or worry that the dog may not be friendly um, just by the color of its coat, which is unfortunate. Wow. I never thought about that before. Well, so you had mentioned financially too. So yeah, so I'll ask you, Penn, what's your budget for monthly um, for a guide dog, considering food, vet, supplies? I budget $250 a month, and y- rarely do I hit that. <laughs> but just his yeah. food alone, especially now, it re- his food runs me about yeah. 100 a month. And then I, because he's a standard poodle, I have to get him groomed. And I don't get him groomed every right. single month. But his grooming is about $100. Um, and then, right. you know, of course, then there's the vet. So if I do 250 a month, that kind of averages out over the year. And that puts me up for a good success financially for him. Smart. Yep. Smart. Oh, everybody has to have a, a guide dog budget if they're going to take one on. Um, I'll ask another question. Penn, do you take advantage of the blind-related work expenses? Do you claim Beethoven's um, costs uh, on your taxes? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Excellent. Good, good. A lot of people aren't aware of that. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that because you you are right. Yeah. People don't know about that. Right. So you can talk if they work with a tax preparer or just uh, look up on the internet um, what qualifies as a blind-related work expense and guide dog food and care and supplies. Um, yeah, you can write that off. Yeah. Even if you get them booties or a coat, um, all of that, all mm-hmm. of that you can write off, which is, which is awesome, which is great because I don't have a car. I can't write off my car expense, you know, so it's nice to be able to, and you know, all my other transportation too, you can write off. So, so that's awesome. Yes. So L- Ellie and I met when, um, I was living in a small mountain town and I had gotten my first guide dog. And she was a black standard poodle. And we had moved out of town. We had, you know, it was still within walking distance, but I'm pretty sure it was DVR, Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, that connected me with you, Ellie. And you actually came up and you... I believe so. Yeah. And it was tricky because I had to cross, I think it was a three or four lane highway to get into my neighborhood. And there wasn't, it's a small mountain town, so there's no stop signs or so <laughs> crosswalks or anything. And so yeah. Ellie was, yeah, it was you were, an uncontrolled crossing. I do remember that. Oh, uh, it was nerve wracking. Yeah. But, and do you remember when you called me saying, my dog won't cross the street? What's yeah. the deal? Is there construction? I don't hear anything. What is going on over here? She's, this isn't working. And I came up and followed you on your route. Do you remember what the problem was? Um, I can't actually. Except, it's I mean, okay. I... Across the street, across the street from you, where you where you wanted the dog to take you, when you said forward, that was your intention. The dog yeah. knew better. There were elk bedding down over there. Oh, a whole herd of elk was bedded right. down. That's right. And the poodle that's said, nope, I'm not tangling with them. <laughs> that's Intelligent right. Intelligent disobedience. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so we found a detour during elk season, and then I think you were able to use that route again later. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do remember that now. Um, that was an issue up there with the elk. And I did, after that, I paid attention. <laughs> When the dog was like, nope, we're not going that way. I'd be like, okay, we're going to turn around. I actually had a, a, an incident with a coyote. And then I also had not, I mean, the, my guide dog kept me away. 
but I also had an incident with a bear. I thought it was a stray dog. So I was going to go save the stray dog, you know, and bring it home with me and try to figure out where it belongs. (laughs) And my guide dog was like, we're not, we're not, we're not not going over there. We're not going over there. That is not a dog. Um, And sure enough, somebody was driving by and they stopped. And I think they must have realized what I was trying to do, which is to get my guide dog to go towards the bear. And the, the, person who was driving the car said, ma'am, ma'am, that's a bear. And sure enough, as soon as they said that, the bear, I guess, stood up on its hind. And then my guide Mm. dog actually took me around to the back of the car, like, okay, it's time to put something between us and the bear. So yeah, Yeah. so that was, that's right. That's right. (laughs) They definitely, I, and, and sometimes it, you know, they teach you about that when you're in guide dog school, but you really don't understand it until you really experience it for yourself. You know, that there is a reason they're telling you, no, we are not going that way. And we really, if you're like me, I'm stubborn. I'm like, no, no, really, it's okay. But they really, it is good to pay attention to that because <laughs> usually they're trying to. Sure, and that that's where that teamwork, that partnership where, you know, it may be that they're, they are being stubborn or they're sniffing or just, you know, goofing off, distracted. So um, sometimes the dogs make mistakes, but sometimes the handlers make mistakes. So yeah, you just got to be forgiving with each other and ultimately follow your dog. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ellie, how do, how do people get a hold of you? Um, if, if, if that's okay for you to share your information, we can put it in the podcast notes so that you can, like you had yeah, mentioned certainly. earlier, you know, about you, how you can advise and connect them to the right guide dog school. Certainly. I'd be happy to um, chat with anyone or, or see if we can work together either on orientation mobility or, or some guide dog support. My website is www.caninesandcanes.com. I'll spell that out. C-A-N-I-N-E-S-A-N-D-C-A-N-E-S. So to email me, info at caninesandcanes.com. And I'm willing to share my number, 303-818-8440. Yeah, and Ellie really is a good resource. Um, I just referred somebody to Ellie who, who was a guide dog user and has had some other health issues and his balance is a little bit off and he may or may not be a candidate for another dog. I hope he is, um, but I I can't make that decision for him. So I was like, you know what? I I'll mm-hmm. connect you with somebody who you know can at least steer you in the right direction. So Ellie is a great resource. Um, Thank you, Penn. And likewise, there's lots of times when I say, you know, I want this person to chat with Penn as a personal experience, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, and that's another reason for the independent contractor is, you know, I can speak from the knowledge base of the Helen Keller National Center and Colorado Division of Oak Rehab. I actually was a counselor there for a short, short time covering a caseload. So I know how these processes work. There's been enough turnover in all the agencies. I may not know who to go to, but I know there's somebody there who probably does what maybe somebody who calls me needs. Um, if it's not me, I know where to send you next. So hopefully I can shorten the length of the goose chase because I know how exhausting it is to look for services and not be able to find them when you need them. Um, I just hope to be uh, 
a little link in the chain there sometimes, if not the the provider myself. Um, and you and you um, you know for a fee, you're also an orientation mobility instructor. Um, so are, can people Correct. reach yep. out to so you for that? Are, absolutely, yeah. If folks are considering, you know, the same question of, am I ready for a guide dog? Am I ready for a white cane? How would the white cane help me? How do I use the white cane? Um, why not a purple cane? You know, all those yeah. questions. Um, yes, you have to have cane skills before you can get a guide dog. So it is a prerequisite. And then once you have, if you choose to have both, you can use both. And as far as different environments or settings, situations, um, there's times where a cane is just more practical and times where a dog is more efficient. So um, it's nice to have a stick shift and four paw drive. <laughs> uh, with orientation mobility, there's a lot of referral sources with funding attached. So if somebody is pursuing employment, Colorado Voc Rehab may be able to support. I'm a vendor with them. Um, so that's a funding funding stream. And the Ensight Skills Center for folks who um, have low vision and maybe a client with Ensight, I'm a vendor with, with them. Um, I've contracted with the Colorado Center for the Blind and pretty much all the guide dog schools. Um, so Ellie, you, you shared about sort of the guide dog user perspective, but there's this whole mm -hmm. other backside, maybe I would call it, about these puppies that really need, like, you know, they're born right. <laughs> and they, before they can become a guide dog, they really are looking for loving homes. Can you share a little bit about the puppy raiser program? Absolutely. Yeah, we could not have guide dogs without puppy raisers. They're just amazing and so um, generous with their time and, and all of they do. So I started as a puppy raiser. I raised seven before I became an instructor. And yeah, so Max laying on the floor by me, Beethoven laying on the floor by you, there was somebody who took them in when they were maybe 10 weeks old, um, weaned from the litter, and just gave them love and safety for their first year of life. Um, they were able to take them in public within reason. I say within reason, as long as they're clean and well-behaved. Puppy raisers can take their, their dogs into church or a store or, you know, work and socialize them. They're not wearing the harness. They're not learning to be a guide dog yet. They're just learning to how to be comfortable in their own skin and the world around them. They learn basic obedience. They get housebroken. And most schools offer some monthly or whatever frequency support in terms of classes or outings that puppy raisers would attend. So you bring your puppy together in a group and everybody's working on food distractions, for example, or, you know, let's all practice walking on different surfaces, uh, you know, crinkly surfaces and smushy surfaces. And um, Max, I'll, I'll brag on you for a minute. We've been working on walking on um, dry pine needles. We were at a campground recently and dry pine needles weren't his favorite, but now he's over it. Um, another one of his buddies in training was um, a little uncomfortable walking over river rocks and stones like in a gravel yeah. relief area. So um, exposing them early on to some of these different surfaces, all kinds of people and scenarios and automatic doors and shopping carts, uh, just so the puppies get to see those things and be around them and get comfortable with them at an early age rather than being fearful of them if they were just to raise in a kennel and then try to be a guide dog. Yeah, puppy raisers are so invaluable. We're always looking for more. There is a huge shortage. I know most schools, it's a maybe a 12-month, 12, 12 to 18-month commitment, and you'll have lots of support. 
Definitely. So that is a volunteer opportunity. And then I rely on host homes, um, host homes or foster homes. So the I currently have three in training with me. Um, I don't want to live with my work buddies <laughs> all the time. I love them. I do. But I we need a break from each other. So it's like taking your coworkers home with you would probably not go well. Um, I've done it and it it's okay. Um, but my kiddos get awfully attached too. So I can train them and give them away all day long, but other people um, get attached. So using a host home, that is also a volunteer opportunity that um, someone can keep an older dog that doesn't need to be housebroken and obedienced and socialized. Those things have already happened. Um, It's a shorter term commitment, maybe one to four months. And yeah, so that's really helpful to me. It does need to be local within this kind of front range area so I can pick them up for training outings uh, multiple times a week. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like I said, uh, we'll put Ellie's contact information in the in the podcast notes. So, if you're interested in, you know, being a host home or a puppy raiser, just mm-hmm. to give these dogs a little bit extra love and attention, which they all deserve completely, um, definitely reach yeah. out, Ellie. So, Ellie, what's Certainly. what's next for you? I know your your feet never stay in one place for very long, so. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. I want to finish the dogs I've committed to. So uh, Max just passed his preliminary testing. He, I did a blindfold route with him, and he was great on curbs and turns and obstacles. Um, and then we started traffic training. So he's learning what's a safe distance to um, respect vehicles at. You know, we don't teach them to fear traffic. We just want them to have a healthy respect of like, ooh, I better not get too close. So we've started traffic training. And then I have my two others I'm working with. Um, they'll be coming up on their prelim end of the month. What I'd really love to do, Penn, thanks for asking, um, I would love to mentor apprentices. So I think our our world in general, you know, we keep hearing about staff shortages and matriculation, and um, there's just not enough people out there to do the services that we we need done. So um, guide dog schools are experiencing that as well. Um, I heard recently that out of the 14 guide dog schools in the U.S., 10 of them were hiring instructors. And there's wow. nobody to hire. Um, they're all kind of stealing from each other. People are playing musical chairs. And I'm guilty as charged. I've been to multiple schools. It's what helps me be well-rounded. I would love to mentor apprentices. I would love to just get some folks interested in this position. It's the best job ever. And I want to share that you know, feeling with other people to have a position that's rewarding and adventurous. And it's just great. So... Uh, mentoring apprentices is probably my next step is just establishing a little program to recruit some folks, get them off to a good start, and then let the schools hire them on as a second year apprentice where it's a less of an investment on their end. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I didn't know about that. That's awesome, Ellie. It'd be great. Fresh, fresh off the presses. Yeah. And I have, I have worked side by side teaching with Ellie at the blind camp um, up in Casper, Wyoming. And then I've also been taught by Ellie, and I've, I've seen her in action, so I can definitely speak that should be great at whatever whatever avenue you, inter, you know, inter, interact with Ellie. Just amazing. So Thanks for that, Penn. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a, just a kind of a out-of-the-box idea. Um, sure. With the host homes, something that's been very successful recently is – Folks who are maybe considering a guide dog or considering puppy raising, being a host home is a short-term commitment. It's almost like you're fostering, and you get a feel for it without a, com- a big commitment. So, um, 
Yeah, for somebody who is blind or visually impaired or um, somebody who is just thinking, oh, do I want to take on a puppy for a whole year, year and a half? Uh, that's a it's great a, it's a good little idea. Segue. That is a great idea. Because uh, I, you know, that's what I do for a living. I get to interact with people just like me. And I do get that question a lot, like, oh, I don't know. And and that's that is a great way because then you could semi-experience it and then you would know for sure, sure after those few months if yeah this is something that I would definitely like to do because I know you can go yeah. test drive a guide dog at, occasionally at some of the conferences but that's not the same as having to get up at 6 a.m or 7 a.m yeah. to take them for out yeah. no matter what um and then fe- you know the whole feeding and very good point. Yeah, it's one thing to work with a guide dog. It's another thing to live with them. Yes. So, yeah. Absolutely. You need to be able to do both. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, and and sitters, you know, I, I benef- appreciate oh. sitters, people who are willing to just take them for a weekend. Uh, same as I'll say I'm willing to take people's guide dogs for a weekend if they need a sitter. That's right. So. And Ellie has done that for me when I have traveled um, outside the country. She's been great at taking on. And so... And I, and I know he's in good hands. So, so yeah, that would be, mm. again, you know, even that's even a shorter commitment, right? Just takes, help you out for the weekend. So that would be great. So Ellie, I, I always give my guests a chance to ask me a question, any question. You've met lots of folks and done lots of things. What's like, one experience you've had that if you could just rewind and and play that one again, because it was just so uh, meaningful for you just to go back and and have another shot at that, do it again. I would, I think it was the very first time I put, her name was Gina, my first guide dog, when I took her for that very first walk. And Mm. that I don't even know if there's words for it. The experience that all of a sudden I don't have to worry about the barriers that are on the sidewalk in front of me. Um, that I I can actually be independent. And I mean, I did. I started bawling that first walk with her because it was so emotional for me that. I mean, I'm a good cane user, um, or I think I am. I haven't gotten into too much trouble with my skills. But just having, I felt like I could walk. I was free. Like, it was just this freedom I had not experienced since I was nine years old when I lost my vision. And I would, if there was a pill you could take for that, just that pure joy and I, I would I would play, replay that over and over and over again, and I and I still get that experience, you know, occasionally. With but I've been a, a guide dog user for a long time now. But you know, if if there is something happens, if Beethoven is sick or something, and I do have to go back to my cane, and then boom, I can go back to the guide dog. I feel it a tiny bit, but if I could, if there was a way for me to experience that just pure joy of freedom that first walk I I would do that over and over and over again oh love it love it and and for me I mean to be you know hanging out behind somebody's right shoulder when they experience that for 20 years you know like 
I don't know how many consumers I've I've been with on their first walk, and I I am a bit of an empath. So not only if I'm watching the reaction of of the new handler and the dog together and this team starting to click together, but you know I'm feeling it. I'm watching it and I'm feeling it. And it I agree. I it's the coolest thing. It's what keeps me doing this. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And just also personally thanking you for what you do, and you know you really do add this whole layer of independence that we would not have, you know, from everything from what you did with the Helen Keller National Institute to, you know, what you do for the guide dog schools, you know, teaching people, you know, orientation and mobility. It's, you know, if there weren't people like you out there, Ellie, we would just be homebound and life would really, really stink. So I appreciate everything that yeah, you do no, for all of, all of us. So... So we really, really um, as I do said in the beginning, it. you know, there's there's always a way, whether it takes more time or it's a different approach, you know, nobody's gonna be sitting around if if I hear about it. We'll just yeah. get you out there and make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So Ellie, what is the number one takeaway that you would like people to walk away with today? Ooh. Um live the question. Just don't sit there wondering, you know make contact, speak up, ask the question, try the question. Um, don't stay inside your head with it. Live, live the questions. If you're wondering, am I ready for a cane? Am I ready for a dog? Should I go try this new thing? Yeah, get out of your head and into your body. I like that. I like that. That's great advice. That's great advice. Well, Ellie, again, thank you so much for taking time. I know you are a busy, busy lady. So thank you so much for spending time with us and the audience out there, thank you for dropping in week after week. It's We really appreciate it. Remember to be kind to yourself this week and find a way to be kind to somebody else. It's really good for your soul. And I will see you next week. Thanks, Ellie.